Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. Your normal host, Simone de Rochefort, who is a video editor at Polygon.com, is in Italy uh, getting fat and tan and enjoying life with wine and beautiful people. But uh, me, Christina Warren, the senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, is still here with you along with Brianna Wu, Democratic uh, candidate for Congress. And this episode is brought to you by Pingdom, Burrow, and Willow Tree. Woo! Woo! All right, so we've got a big show today. So what we're going to do is actually we're going to start and talk... we got to start with my anger towards Simone. I mean, we're here, we're working this week. She's partying over in Italy. That's not fair. What's what's also not fair is that because she is in Italy, I'm going to make a Fredo joke, and she's... she's, I can't even (laughs) neg on her for it. And before anybody gets mad at me... I'm 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 part Italian, so whatever. Like my mom is half Italian, so I I, I can I can say this, yeah. So, but I can't even neck on her because she is getting uh, fat and tan and and enjoying her wonderful life. Can we talk about that Chris Cuomo video? Because I have the unpopular opinion. I like Chris Cuomo. Cuomo. I do too. I've always I liked him. I think he's a talented journalist. I think he gets unfair stuff from my own side and well yeah because he's, he's part yeah. of the family i mean honestly like i, I well this is why i think being called fredo like hurts so bad because <laughs> he's like you know because he's like the cuomo who's not the he's he's not the governor right right like, right he's so so i you're, he's gonna feel it more than anybody else honestly totally ju- i mean it's unfortunate it was caught on camera but you can't just go up to to people and and do that kind of stuff and and not expect to get some pushback. I I don't I want to be clear, I don't approve of the threat of violence there, but everything else in that clip I thought was well deserved. That guy he's hanging out, some guys coming up to him like a jerk store. And, you know, he got stepped on. And I think that's, I think it was appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I was amused and I actually like Chris Cuomo more than I did before. So, so, you know, whatever, like it's good, but, uh, um, Enough of uh, weird things happening in uh, the weird schism that we live in between, like, U.S. politics and media, um, <laughs> uh, which also Barstool Sports, but we're not going to get into any of that, but go AOC. Oh, but, uh, oh, but, but but this oh. week, we, we do have some, some actual tech news, so we have a couple of stories. First, we are going to talk about the Samsung Galaxy Note 10. Uh, there are two versions that should not blow up uh, in your pocket, <laughs> and... Um, we're also going to talk about the latest uh, and, and and near final, maybe, chapter in one of our favorite scams <laughs> on Rocket History, and that is MoviePass. And uh, and finally, we're going to end with an interview uh, that Brianna and I did with Carrie Goldberg, who is an attorney and the author of a new book called Nobody's Victim that is out now, so you should check that out. All right, so let's just, uh, I guess, get into it. Uh, First things first, Galaxy Note 10. Not one, but two. There is the 10. There is the 10 Plus. And wait for it, there is the 10 Plus 5G. So I have to say, your 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 key the key indicator their product line has run out of ideas, and Apple is guilty of this too. When they start bringing colors out to the iPod line, that's when you knew that device was in trouble. And the prismatic back that they are advertising for this, 
I I think there's some solid tech here, but I'm, I'm just saying it doesn't bode well, Christina, um, in my opinion. Well, right. Okay, so we're going to kind of, let's get into this tech because this these are two big phones. So there <laughs> is, there's the regular Note 10. And keep in mind, the Note is the, the smartphone that basically is responsible for the phablet tab that we all have now. I remember when the first one came out, I think it was like five inches or something. And we were like... <laughs> No one needs a phone this big. This is gigantic. Right. What's the point of this? And 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 people like myself, like like were like very anti the big phone thing. Uh, yep. I, says the woman who now has a, a 10s Max. Um, and um, but over the years, you know the the Note series. You, you have the regular Galaxy S series, which is kind of like their kind of flagship, and then you have the Note series that comes out a couple of months later. Um, usually has some of the same high end features sometimes even more powerful. And then it adds the ability to use the stylus and, and, and write on it. Um, and this year there are two, there is the, the, uh, regular note 10 and then the jumbo, uh, as the verge says, note 10 plus. Now these are expensive phones. Now this is the first time that Samsung is, uh, joining Apple and basically other, every other smartphone company out there and getting <laughs> rid of the headphone jack. Yep. So Neelai Patel at The Verge is is very angry, but um, I think this is, what do you think about this, Brie? Like, I don't care, I think, just because after Apple did it, as annoyed as I was, I was like, well, I'll deal with an adapter if I need to, but otherwise, like, it just kind of led me into my AirPod existence that I, I'm in now, and I, I, I still won't say, I, I, I won't say it took courage, because it really didn't, but it does kind of prove that everybody just follows Apple. I mean, I guess my frustration is I didn't when when I first voiced like not being upset about the loss of the headphone jack, I didn't realize at that point just how bad AirPods were for the environment. And spoiler, really bad. Nobody recycles them. Uh, they're they're terrible in that sense. But that said, you know, this is a headache. I have to say, comes up consistently. Uh, not being able to have that that headphone jack. It it. I mean, it's not all the time. Like I I think I have three cases of. Uh, three uh, three different pairs of AirPods at this point. So it's not bad. I just, I don't know what's worse. Like I'm always hunting around for my other AirPod and right. trying to match it to the case. It's kind of a pain in the butt in a different way. But that said, it's the future. Yeah. Embrace it, move forward. I got bigger stuff to stress. Yeah, totally. I think for me, the big thing is that um, I was already using Bluetooth headphones for the most part when yeah. um, uh, that happened. I was using my my, my Beats, and then um, I, you know, I, I, I embraced the AirPod Live, and I still use other Bluetooth headphones. The only area where it's kind of annoying is if I am wanting to like, if you use earpods rather than AirPods, so like the wired ones, the Lightning ones, you can't use those with your laptop. Yeah. That's the one frustrating thing. Um, and again, AirPods kind of take care of that. You can switch between the Bluetooth uh, um, uh, inputs. But it, but that's, you know, it, it, it takes more time than just like unplugging, plugging back in. But let's talk yeah. about this phone a little bit more. So in addition to not having the headphone jack, some of the pluses that it has is that the Note 10 starts at $950. So these are expensive phones. The, the 10 Plus starts at $1099. The Note 10 has 8 gigs of RAM and a 256 uh, gigabytes of storage. The Note 10 Plus is, um, uh, like I said, uh, $1,099. It has 256 gigs of storage. And if you spend another $100, you get 512 gigs of RAM. And it has, or 512 gigs of storage. And it has 12 gigs of RAM. And then there is also a, a Note 10 5G, which is only available on Verizon uh, for right now. So these are really powerful phones. I mean, I, I'm sorry, like eight gigs of RAM in a phone 
there are laptops that Apple sells that the max RAM you can have in that laptop is eight gigabytes. Um, that's so this is, I don't know, this I, I'm still kind of in this place where I'm like, a phone has how much RAM now? Like yeah. eight and eight and twelve gigabytes. We're getting into like real, like real computing territory when we I when I hear those type of figures. It makes sense because you know the the memory in a phone is obviously solid state. RAM played a lot more of a role when you know the throughput was so much slower than it is today. So um, I mean, I wasn't on the architecture team. I don't know if there's really a valid use case for it, but it's just, you know, from my perspective on the outside, it's it's hard to understand why that's that's needed or even what apps on the phone could take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the probably for me kind of the, the bigger thing. Like, you could make the argument, like, I think that if you had 8 gigs of RAM or 12 gigs of RAM in an iPad, then there you could make the state you could make the argument that there would be developers not a lot of them granted but there would be developers who would build apps that would be able to take advantage of all that RAM yeah. and, and to use it uh, right the, there are apps that already exist right like GarageBand you could do it sure uh, you uh, know. when when the full fo- version of Photoshop comes out you know things <laughs> like that like like there are things that uh, you know I think we've been saying the full version of Photoshop is going to come out for iPad Pro it feels like ten hundred years at it this does point. it does but, I mean Adobe's <laughs> promised it so you know but but like but I mean, even the 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 most RAM that I believe that the most maxed out iPad Pro has, I think it's still like six gigabytes or something. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and 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 that's if you get the thirteen inch uh, version, and you have to have the like the one terabyte of storage. Like that's the only way you get that. Um, whereas these are now phones that have eight and twelve gigabytes, and and you know with Android, like I just maybe they do exist. If they do, like let let me know, tweet me um, uh, at film underscore girl, but. I don't think that there are any Android apps that are going to be taking advantage of this stuff. So it almost feels like it's like, okay, well, this is because we're just going to run every app in the background at at full throttle. Um, at the same time, I'm not going to say I'm not. I don't hate it. Um, although one of the things that that uh, you know, I guess on, on on the flip side of this, that is part of the Note series is Dex, which is this way where you can you know connect your phone to you know, basically a, a, a computer and then access your phone that way and kind of turn it into like a mini thin client. Um, I don't yeah. think anybody actually uses that. Um, it usually doesn't work well, but that's an option. I don't know. You know, I The Verge was talking about this being very hyped for it. I did Twit this weekend. Leo is very hyped for it. I mean, at the very least, if you've got a phone in front of you that's this big, I can imagine like using it for note taking. I mean, maybe there's a way to get it hooked up to Illustrator and you can actually use the vector pressure there. I I don't know. I I can see uses for that. I think I think if my iPad, I know that if my iPad Pro hooked up to my Mac and I could use the the Apple Pencil with it, I'm sure I would use that. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think that's interesting. And obviously, there's some things that uh, uh, Microsoft is doing with Windows 10. And in disclosure, if you didn't hear the beginning of the show, I work at Microsoft, but I don't work on Windows. And I don't know any of these specifics. But uh, Samsung and Microsoft have worked together to bring things to Windows 10 so that you can do the the MyPhone um, uh, app that is built into Windows 10, has more of like a kind of a better mirroring and, and, and better kind of you know, um, I guess integration where you get your notifications and you can make calls and you can do all kinds of other stuff um, from if your phone is is connected to your computer, which is cool. But the deck stuff, you know, like I love the like the concepts. I love the the ideas of oh, I'm just plugging it in and all of a sudden I can drag and drop stuff from my phone to to my laptop. Like that seems so cool in theory, but I've genuinely never seen anybody use it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, doesn't that, isn't that all of Samsung's features? Like I was looking at this, they've got one, it's like an AR pen where you can doodle a mustache on a friend and pan the camera around and come back to them. Okay, cool. I'd use it about one time. I'd laugh and I would shut that app down and never use it ever again. I mean, that's like the typical Samsung software on their their devices. No, this is true. That's that, that's a, that's uh, not a bad, that's a fair critique because usually that is one of the things they do is that they, you know, show off all these really cool kind of in theory um, things that you can do on the phone and then it's like no one's ever going to do it. They're going to use kind of, <laughs> right. kind of the stock apps anyway or, or, or whatever. But, the you know, but, but having said all that, even though nobody uses those things, people still become very associated and familiar with the Samsung you know, scanning of Android. So if they use a, a non-Samsung phone, they're like, "Wait, what is what? this?" Like, I, 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 like, I'm, I am, I am not, you know, comfortable with this. And it's like, okay, fair, fair enough. They also they have the thing with the S Pen, like gestures, so you can wave your S Pen in the air and go, like, move it forward, and you'll move forward in Spotify track. It's like, okay, if Apple did that for iPad Pro. Maybe if I found the world's only projector in the world that will hook up through USB-C instead of HDMI or I brought some converter to a college to give a talk, maybe I could sit there and wave the the, the yeah. pen back and forth in Kino. But other than that miracle future happening, no one's going to use this. It's it's a problem. It's a solution in search of a problem, in no, my opinion. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, although it is funny, one of the solutions in search of a problem that they did not bring over or are I guess presumably did bring over, but did not mention at all is Bixby, which of course yep. is the only voice assistant that is worse than Siri. Um, <laughs> I mean, show me the lie. That's cold. That's very cold, Christina. I mean, sorry. Yeah. My my apologies in theory to Siri, but <laughs> but it's true. Um, sorry, Siri. Sorry, Bixby. But both of you are are are, are not our our favorites. Um, nope. But but it's it, it is interesting. You know, they they acquired the company they acquired, which ironically was the same team that was originally behind Siri. Uh, then went <laughs> on to do their own thing, and Samsung acquired it. Like they made a really big deal about that integration. And in theory, you know, Samsung would have ways because they own smart things and. They actually have like a, a, a very decent internet of, of um, things um, play in the smart home space. They could really draw those integrations together. But uh, it's interesting that they've struggled in similar ways that Apple has, right, with with Siri and with HomePod and and uh, with um, HomeKit. And um, and it's interesting to me that you would, at least on the surface, I would think that oh, the more vertically integrated companies, the Samsungs of the world, the the Apples of the world would be really good at that yet it's it's um it's amazon and it's google who have actually been the most successful with the uh, yeah. smart home market or with the voice assistant market um is there any other thing that kind of strikes your fancy about the the galaxy uh, note 10 i feel like we're being kind of negative on it and i just want to take a step back and say i really 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 wish apple would make an iPhone that uh, would be similar to the Galaxy Note with the with the Apple Pencil built into it. That would absolutely be the one that I use when I roll into meetings. I always uh, I carry my iPad Pro with me. And the like, this is a tick I learned as a journalist. But if you sit there and you write as someone is talking to you, it works really well with constituents. Like they feel listened to, yep. and you actually have a record sitting there. And it it's really good for getting people talking. Um, 
I, I mean, I love my iPad Pro. I carry it as much as I can. At the same time, it's a big thing to lug around. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't feel like the Plus is worth the extra size. If there was a pencil built into it or even one that magnetically clipped to the top, I would think long and hard about that. So I feel like we're being negative on this product here because the Samsung Galaxy just, it has a lot of gimmicks to it, right? It just always will. That said, I think there's clearly a use case for it and I wish Apple would follow suit. Yeah, and I would just like to say, like, I think that this is, um, I mean, on paper, it looks like this is going to be a really good phone. Um, I obviously am, am looking forward to seeing like the really in-depth reviews that people were able to do, you know, with the camera and stuff like that. But the Note series, when it's not blowing up in people's pockets. Um, and, and, Which is often. Well, you know, look, I'm sorry, but when one of those things happens, it's going to be, like, I don't care how many years passes. Like, it, you know, it's always going to be that anecdote. It just is. Um, and and look, Samsung proved me wrong. I did not think that the brand could survive that. Uh, it absolutely has. So good for them. Uh, but... Um, you know, you're going to bring it up. But I but those things aside, I mean, I think that if you're looking to get an Android phone, you know, it's this or it's maybe the upcoming Google Pixel that are the, the ones you're going to be looking at. Um, I, I do maybe wish that uh, the, the prices of, of our phones wasn't uh, still creeping into this ridiculously high territory because I, I, I don't know how much longer that's going to really be able to last. But so that's, can I that's say it. something about that? I, sure. I, I'm going to go on record for this here. And, you know, we have not seen the next iPhone. But um, I am just about 100% certain I am going to stick with my iPhone X for a third year, which I cannot believe I'm saying to you because there's no rumor I've seen that gives me any interest in buying this uh, yeah. again. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, and this is going to shock the audience who will not believe me because I've known to be a liar about this, that I'm actually not, I'm, I'm of a similar mindset with my XS Max where don't I don't know if I'll upgrade. Um, okay, who am I kidding? I, I pay like the monthly. I probably will, but it's one of those things where I don't feel like I have to. Um, yeah. uh, that said, we haven't seen what Apple's going to announce, and, and they could blow us all away. But um, uh, I, we're, 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 I've seen the rumors. But so, I mean, I have too. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you don't. You know, I mean, you know, there there could be some other things. But regardless, um, you know, I, we're maybe at peak phone, and that's why we seem a little bit dejected. But it does, you know, this. If if you if you are going to be spending a thousand dollars plus on an Android phone, this is definitely one you're going to want to check out. And so, oh, yeah. and so I, oh, I, I look yeah. forward to seeing more things that come from this. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. So, uh, Pingdom is the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. So. Everybody loves a fast website, and Pingdom are there helping keep your favorite websites online. That includes Netflix and Amazon and Spotify and and Twitter. Yeah, even though it's a, a hell site, we do love it. And and Slack. And those are just a couple companies that trust Pingdom to take take care of its website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated, but you can monitor any site, any transaction with Pingdom. So that's stuff like user registrations or logins, checkouts, and much more. And Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they will take care of the rest. 
That's it. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET, that's R-O-C-K-E-T, at checkout and get a huge 30% off your first invoice. So that's uh, uh, pingdom.com slash RelayFM and then the uh, offer code ROCKET at checkout. Thank you to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. I feel guilty. I feel like we're scam town cheating on Simone. By I do too. This next topic, I, I feel bad. I do too. I feel really bad that Simone isn't here for this. Um, you know what though? This is this is the one thing that I will say that will make us feel a little bit better. I just got the Anna Delvey book written by her former roommate. Oh my god! Oh my god! Or or not not her former roommate, but by the girl who uh, she yeah who she scammed yeah. yeah who she like took like the girl who put the stuff on her corporate Amex. Yeah, so I, I did not know that book was out already. And uh, what's the name of it? What's it's the called name My Friend it? Anna. Oh my god! So I bought that. So I have been reading it. I'm almost done, and so that we will be able to talk about when Simona's back. But click right bought, buying. We'll completely talk to you about this next week. Exactly. So in in that case, um, I. I think, though, we have to talk about our other most favorite uh, of scam <laughs> uh, situations. And that, of course, is the saga of MoviePass. Yeah. this I, I have to thank you, Christina. I missed this. And you gave me the story. It's one of these stories I was just like, you know, I was like, Frank, just I've got to sit here. Don't talk to me. I'm trying to read this. Like, it's such an amazing story. Yeah, it's really good. So uh, this was uh, this is from a uh, Business Insider and Business Insider Prime actually. So I will I will link to this in I the show what notes. Is Business Insider Prime. I was looking at this. They I'm have like, a subscription what? service. Okay. Now, uh, okay. Um, yeah, and look, uh, I I'm in, certainly I'm in no way like trying to denigrate anybody's journalism or anything. I probably oh, it's a great story. It, it, yeah. It's a fantastic story. I'm saying I wouldn't usually probably be the person who would subscribe to Business Insider Prime. I <laughs> it just wouldn't be one of those things where I'd be like I'm gonna you know spend my money on this. But um, I'm very very lucky in that uh, I, I get it as part of a corporate like benefit. So. Uh, we were able to, I was able to share the dental, story. Dental, health insurance, and business insider. I, I mean, I, I made a joke about this on Twitter. Um, I get like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I actually pay for the Times separately, but I would get that too. Um, you know, business insider, uh, prime, um, uh, the information. There's some other stuff too. Turns out when you work at a big company, they tend to have like librarians and like libraries on staff, and then they'll procure like seat-wide access for employees. And so if you're somebody who is like me and like loves the library, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, no, so this story, and this is, this is by, this was uh, written by uh, uh, Jason Guerrero uh, or Guerracio, uh sorry, Jason, um, who uh, <laughs> has been covering the story, I think probably better than anybody else um, in, um, in, the, the media or, or the tech industry. He's really been um, all over business, uh, all over MoviePass, rather, for Business Insider. And this story is called The Definitive Story About How a Controversial Florida Businessman Blew Up MoviePass and Burned Hundreds of Millions. And um, this, uh, a lot of the details of this have been kind of reblogged other places. But this story is, is a really great read because it really kind of goes through the moment that um, Helios and Matheson, which was the, the kind of the, AI company or or big data company. They, they call themselves lots of things. Basically, the penny stock company that bought 
MoviePass, which had been a venture-backed startup, and and took over things and made the decision to lower the uh, monthly price, uh, the subscription from $50 a month to $10 a month, um, basically following that story of, of like the that hot summer through, you know, two years later where uh, they're all but out of business. Um, yep. And it's it's so, really interesting. So you can get into that, and I, so I wanted to ask you, kind of, can you help catch me up? What is their state of business currently? It shut down for technical reasons. Like, what's what's going on exactly? Well, that they claim now that they might be back up, and but if you go to MoviePass.com, for instance, which I just did. They say big changes are coming. For the past several months, MoviePass has been working hard to improve our groundbreaking subscription service to ensure it meets that vision that we have for it. We are temporarily not accepting new subscribers as we work on these improvements. Please enter your, your email and you'll be notified when we're accepting new subscribers to our improved service. So they are no longer accepting new subscribers. And they said, and this was a guess about uh, three weeks ago, that they were no longer going to be billing people that they were basically turning the app off for a little bit so that they could restructure things. Then in one of the statements uh, that the MoviePass gave to Business Insider, they kind of implied, oh, we've already turned things back on for a majority of our subscribers. Reddit is kind of unclear on that. So I don't know what their state is. I'm kind of feeling like they're a zombie company insofar as there are probably a handful of people still working on it. They are probably still trying to maybe raise more money, do other weird things to get other people to believe in it. Who knows? But I mean, it's like, it's on, it's a zombie company. Like it's not dead, but it's not like alive. I mean, the fact that they're not taking on new subscribers is a good indicator that things are not going super well. Right. So let's get to the tea from uh, from this piece because there's yes. a lot of it. Oh, there's so much tea. Oh, my God. So my favorite, uh, I guess, anecdote, like they start. Uh, so basically, um, if you were a MoviePass subscriber, then you remember what happened last July, right before uh, Mission Impossible uh, uh, Fallout came out. And the app just like stopped working. And um, it turns out that in addition to the payment processor, like, not willing to give them a line of credit anymore and kind of shutting things down. That one of the reasons that the app stopped working, people would like try to log into their app and it'd be like, your password is incorrect. Like people wouldn't be allowed to log into their app. Turns out that was because the the CEO is like, yeah, so we're going to look at our, our heaviest users and we're just going to change their passwords and not let them get access to their account because yeah. we, we, we need to slow down their ability to... Uh, access the service that they paid for. Which is just, <laughs> I can't even believe that, but yeah, yeah. And this was as uh, Avengers Infinity War was coming out. Yeah, that was as Avengers Infinity War was coming out. And then the payment processor stuff shut down during, uh, when the whole app went down uh, during, um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, Mission Impossible. And so um, it also turns out that, so that right there, like if they can, if that can be proven, that's that 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 has to be against some sort of like uh, contractor. Get, that has to be a legal thing. I'm not a lawyer, but there's no way that can be legal. Where you're like, we're going to change the user's password and fundamentally like limit their access to things. What also was interesting though is that one of the things they started doing after they were trying to kind of come back from that was that 
um, only a certain number of movies would be available on the app. And then there would be times when the app would just say no more screenings available. Everybody would be like, well, why? You know, what's, what's happening here? Well, it turns out that they had like a certain amount of money every day um, that they, I guess, were willing to lose. And once it went above that figure, so let's say it was like, you know, a million dollars. Once it hits a million and one dollar, um, then they would just turn the app off and it wouldn't work for anyone else. So uh, and, and and there were people, you know, uh, former employees who commented and said that there were some days they would get through the whole day and not reach that threshold. But on other days, it might happen really early. And so this is why I remember when I was still trying to use MoviePass, if you were able to book your ticket in the morning, sometimes it would work because there was still the ability to book, you know, a movie time. Uh, but if you came in the afternoon, it, it it wouldn't. And of course, the problem with that was that the whole point of MoviePass is you're supposed to buy a ticket like within 30 minutes of of the screening happening. So it wasn't one of those things where you're supposed to be able to, you know, use it at 9 a.m. to get a 6 p.m. show. Like you're supposed to get it at like 5.30 p.m. for the 6 p.m. show. So, you know, it, it really made the whole process of using the service really limiting. And it turns out that was all like designed by the company to try to right. keep its highest users out, which of course obviously begs the question, if your business model is so bad that you literally have to engineer your app and your business to keep your users from using it, what are you doing? Yeah. So I'm look, obviously, I mean there was a, a quote in this piece where it was like uh it was from basically the uh the SEC saying, look, this was unethical. It may have been illegal. So I don't want to sound like I'm defending Movie Pass at all saying this. But what I found, what I found really interesting here is uh, this piece really goes into the entire history of this. Mm-hmm. They go back to when I used Movie Pass back when it was like a, a debit card, and you would show up at yep. the theater, and it would geofence it and make sure you were there, and basically pay back on the credit card. I I do have to say the reason this seems to have failed more than anything else, is the AMC and the other theater chains just did not want to play ball with MoviePass or give them any kind of discounted ticket sales. So they kind of went the other direction. This kind of uh, not super (laughs) reputable guy comes in and says like $10 a month and this is how we're going to do it. Um, But it was, I, I feel... I feel like the fact that AMC does have their, they have some monthly pass yeah, they thing do. that it's, they it's, try it's to sell stubs, you. Which, I'm, um, which right. I'm a member of. Um, I, yeah. I, I pay for the for the AMC um, Subs Plus or, or whatever right. it's called plan. Um, so this could have been done, and I I think it's I think it's very telling that all the movie theater chains came together and said, yeah. Nope, we're all going to act in solidarity here. We're not going to work with you and sell you discounted tickets. Yeah, well, I think it's a couple of things. So I knew Stacy Spikes, uh, who was the original founder oh, of Movie Pass. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. I actually was on a panel with him at Tribeca one year. So there's like Getty photographs of me, like on that panel. <laughs> it was some big data movies panel, and I actually wow. covered Movie Pass when it launched the first time, and they always kind of faced pushback. So when it first launched, the launch was actually canceled because the 
movie theater chains wouldn't agree to it. And then they had to find the workaround. And that's when they first had like these weird movie coupons. And then they did the debit card thing and the geofencing. And the price, you know, would fluctuate, but it was usually about $50 a month. And they weren't quite breaking even, but they certainly weren't losing money the way that that the the $10 a month plan was. And there was actually a period of time when AMC was a MoviePass partner, where, again, when this was at the higher, like $40 and up price range, where they were a MoviePass partner. Um, When that that ended was when um, uh, uh, Ted Farnsworth, who had been an executive at Netflix, was brought in by the original venture capitalists, to replace Stacy as CEO, Stacy stayed um, at the company, and um, he started to, you know, maybe look at okay, how do we play with the business model? Some, how do we make changes? That was then when um, the the guy from Helios and Matheson ended up um, stepping in and saying, "We're going to buy." Um, uh, uh, excuse me, it was uh, Ted Farnsworth was not the Netflix guy. It was Mitch Lowe, who was the Netflix guy. Ted Farnsworth was the Helios Matheson guy. So so Mitch Lowe takes over the company. And then they're approached by this Helios and Matheson guy who's like, I'm going to give you this amount of money for this percentage of the company. And the investors basically all said, we're going to take it. And yep. then he and and uh, Lowe and, and Matheson were like, okay, we just want to lower the, you know, lower the price and just ramp this up. And at that point, when you start to sell, you know, a monthly subscription for less than the price of a ticket in most markets, yeah, uh, your your movie theater chain pals are, are not going to be happy with what they see as you devaluing their ticket price. Now, sure. MoviePass, obviously, I think they had a decent point, which was that we should be able to buy these tickets in bulk um, because we're a substantial portion of your sales. On the flip side, you know, the movie theater chains are like, okay, but what you're doing is unsustainable and you're you're actively, you know, taking away our business. But I think the bigger right. thing was that they initially, and, and this piece doesn't get into, but one of the big requests was that they were, they wanted to get a piece of the concessions profits yeah. from yeah. the theater chains. Now that's insane, right? Like that's, yeah. that's no, just I never going, like, like that's never going to happen. And, um, and so, but I think the, the bigger thing is whether this was fair or unfair, if you're AMC or if you're Regal, and you see that, that this sort of plan at a higher price can work, why would you partner with a middleman? Why wouldn't you just do it yourself? I, I think that's a great question. I think that's a great question. And I think it was a refusal to answer. To Like, basically, they had the guy comes in. He's like, $10, that's it. We'll figure out the money later. We'll sell stock as we have to. Like, they didn't want to confront that reality, basically. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that we're just hoping that we're it's going to get so big that it's going to um, you know, outpass all this other stuff. I mean, and it's hilarious too because there were all these other details. There's also you can listen to there I think there's like a podcast version of the article. I'll link to that too, but like they got they had the fuck Jerry guys from the Fire Festival were involved right. in doing like the influencer marketing. They spent a million dollars on a party um at a at, at I think um at at um at Coachella. Like yeah. it's it's re- ridiculous some of the stuff that they did and and then this farnsworth guy like used to be involved with uh the psychic network uh the psychic discovery network with latoya jackson oh, which oh, i remember I the infomercials it. for like it's I just do too. 
That it's was crazy. You were not around in the 90s for that. It was beautiful. You'd be watching TV and there'd be 10 different psychic phone commercials coming on. It was I know. just amazing. So good. Oh my gosh. So good. So yeah, so this story is is crazy. And as for what's next with MoviePass, I don't know. But um, one of the things I think that is kind of great about this is that Stacey Spikes, the the co-founder who, you know, he left the company, they fired him basically over email. <laughs> He wasn't even bitter from the piece. Which no, I, no. I, didn't I mean, know. I think yeah. that I think his bitterness had probably when he was like had to leave the CEO ship and whatnot. But no, he wasn't bitter. But he's now doing his own startup again called Pre-Show. I know, and, oh. which actually is not a bad idea. Um, and 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 seems like it could be smart tech. And like, ironically, well, the tell failure- people what this is about because I was like, how do you make that math work? That doesn't make sense to me either. Well, no. So, so how pre-show works would basically be the idea is that if you watch like 20 minutes of content, you can get a free movie ticket. So it's an app and basically says if you watch these ads, then you will get a, you know, a ticket to this show for free. And so I guess the idea would be that he's trying to match you know, um, advertisers with, with willing, um, and, um, with willing people who are, you know, going to be engaged in the content. And maybe if he can get enough of that together, then that can offset the price of, of, of a ticket. Um, and if you look at, and I mean, and all things considered, that doesn't seem to be the craziest idea. I've been to CinemaCon and and other, um, distribution, um, uh, conferences around the movie industry. And, there is a lot of money that is spent on like the, the pre-roll and like the, the things before the trailers, like when you're sitting in the movie theater for like the 20 minutes before the trailer starts, like, and you have those other, you know, commercials and other things going on. A ton of money is sent, is spent on that. Um, and, and it's, it, it's a, it's a fairly big business. Um, I could see, I don't know if the math works out, but I could see that you might be able to convince advertisers that like the, you know, 20 minutes of, of, you know, full attention of, you know, this demographic, um, who's, who you already know is interested in seeing this movie. So we can, you know, pair you to it might be worth whatever, you know, CPM value they're, they're paying. I don't know. I guess I consider me skeptical on that, that, you know, you could come up with like an individual user being worth like, you know, $15, uh, $11 movie ticket, however much it is. It just, it seems like for 20 minutes, I don't buy that. If you're saying a couple of hours, maybe. Sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. No, I mean, I I don't think you are. I just, I can understand why it sold the right way that like advertisers who already pay Oh, very yeah. high fees might be willing to do it. But in any event, what's funny is that that has a Kickstarter campaign that was successful. And then he has had an easier time raising money for this because now everybody knows MoviePass. So even though it's been yeah. a failure, even though it's kind of like a laughingstock at this point, everybody's like, oh, well, we know that thing. And and yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, a punchline, but it also had a, a ton of users and has like name values. So, so good for Welcome him. That's Silicon Valley, y'all. Completely. <laughs> completely. <laughs> hey, you failed and your name is synonymous with scam. Great job. We're going to found your, we're going to fund your next startup. Next week when we talk about the Anna Delvey book, what oh, I can already kind of pretend is that when she gets out of jail, she's going to rain, she's going to like raise a venture fund. I can, I, can, I can see it now. Can't wait. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Burrow. Burrow makes simple, innovative furniture for modern life at home. Their award-winning sofa is packed full of clever features and thoughtful touches, and you'll wonder why you didn't upgrade your living room situation 
even sooner. And Burrow have had rave reviews. One person said that Burrow nailed it on quality, craftsmanship, and customer service. Another said that it was incredibly easy to set up and only took about 20 minutes, and that they loved how versatile it was. Um, Burrow sofas are modular, so they come together in minutes, and you can add or or remove seats as you need them, which is really great if you've ever had to set up a a sofa and know that it's going to take up a certain amount of space in your room, and maybe you want to add an ottoman or add more space or, or, or get rid of some. Um, it's also really easy to take apart, which is also great if, if you're moving. Um, and uh, I love this feature so much. I wish my couch had this. It has a built-in USB charger so that you can you can charge oh your gosh. device right from your sofa. I know. I'm so jealous. Uh, Simone has a bro, uh, and she loves it. And Brie and I are, like, jealous that our sofas do not. I just wish they – I wish Relay had asked. I, would, I hate that Simone got to him first. And Simone was like, yeah, I'll take the free couch. You I know? actually think that so. she bought it. I, I think that she got hers. Oh, did she? Yeah, I think oh. she got hers, like, independently. Yeah, that was, like, what made it an even better, like, ad thing oh, for wow. us, right? Oh, my um, gosh. So, in addition to the built-in USB charger that is Simone de Rochefort approved and uh, makes uh, Christina Warren and, and Brianna Wu jealous, um, uh, Burrow is super customizable, and so you can choose from five fabric colors, three leg finishes, there are two armrest styles um, of any length, and you can add a chaise or ottoman. And they just launched their new Nomad Leather Collection, which has the same convenient design, but now with the option of top grain Italian leather upholstery. Um, again, uh, you know, Simone loves hers. She's been really, really happy with it. And I, I know you just moved into a new house, Brianna, and moving the sofa is always the most I'm difficult not, part. I'm not going to lie, Christy. I'm sitting here looking at the site right now. One of my, one of my uh, couches, it just didn't make the move very well. And yep. we're thinking about getting rid of it. So I gotta say this leather, this leather burrow couch, it's looking pretty good. So all right. Well, since you are in the market for a new sofa, Brianna, and, and also for any of our listeners, if you're in the market for a new sofa, give your living room the upgrade that it deserves with a burrow sofa. And you can actually get $75 off a new sofa and free one week shipping by visiting burrow.com slash rocket. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash rocket for $75 off your order. And our thanks to Burrow for their support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. So good. Oh, this is so gorgeous. I love the leather one. This is yeah, just no, amazing. Yeah, it looks amazing. Like I, I, I'm like, again, I'm trying to kind of redo my office and figure out like how much room do I have because I kind of want a, a sofa. All right. So now that we've talked about uh, one of our favorite scams, um, we're going to talk up, uh, to somebody who... Uh, actually helps take down some of the scammers, right? In some ways, maybe. <laughs> that's, a, that's almost Simone-worthy transition. Yes. Good job. Yes. Score. Score. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are now uh, going to play an interview that we did earlier this week with Carrie Goldberg, who is an attorney and the author of the new book, Nobody's Victim. And uh, uh, let's, let's take a listen to this conversation. You know, we've been covering more and more books on on uh, Rocket. You know, we brought in uh, ABC and uh, their show on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Uh, we covered that. And today, I have my good friend, Carrie Goldberg, who has a freaking amazing book out. Carrie, it's such an honor to have you here on Rocket. Thank you for coming. Yay. I am so excited to be here with both of you and all you listeners out there. Yeah. So uh, Carrie, basically, she is, she's been working in uh, basically on the other side of what I experienced in uh, during Gamergate. So basically, helping victims uh, get justice. Can you tell people a little bit about your legal career leading up to uh, your book release? Sure. So I own a victim's rights law firm 
uh, called CA Goldberg PLLC. And we fight for victims of online harassment, sexual assault, and blackmail. Mm-hmm. And I just, I believe wholeheartedly that if somebody injures you or, or throws shit at you, then, then they should have to pay for it. Yeah. And sometimes payment comes in the form of, of uh, a debt to society and, and being thrown in jail. Other times it comes in the form of, of giving all the offenders money to my client. Right. Well, that's a pretty, yeah. And, you know, one of the things we saw during Gamergate is law enforcement is very often ill-equipped to act with death threats, rape threats. Um, You know, even in the case of 8chan this last week, you saw them really acting after the fact. Uh, So I think it's really important that we have civil uh, actions as well. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the jurisprudence that you've been exploring in this area? Sure. So, I mean, we, we use civil court in a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's, uh, it's to get, you know, a restraining order against somebody who's stalking a client of ours or a jilted ex-boyfriend. But other times it's really major cases uh, against tech companies or against schools uh, for Title IX or for their, their role in, in some damage to, to our clients. So, for instance, mm-hmm. we've had a case for four years, actually, we just settled it. And I talk about it in my book, uh, representing a student who was um, sexually assaulted outside of her eighth grade school. Mm-hmm. And then he recorded it and the video went completely viral. And the school, rather than helping her once they found out about the video, they instead basically suspended her, told her and her mom that she wasn't um, welcome at school because um, her presence was was exacerbating the, the, the video and it's uh, viral. No, no, um, no. so that's, you know, when we have, when we can find a third party that, you know, can financially help our client that bears responsibility, we go after them. Right. Um, and so in that case it was the school, but then we have, we have cases against big tech, um, for, for their role. And I think this has this is maybe more in point to, to what we're what I'm here talking about, but we um, we have a case against Grinder, for instance, mm-hmm. where uh, our client was impersonated on Grinder. Many of our clients are impersonated on dating apps, and then Christina's it, faced that too, by the way. I have, <laughs> have, yeah, oh yeah. People have used my photos and false things about me and created whole profiles and whole things. Yeah. Oh my God! So did people show up at your home? directed there by by the person using your 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 information? Uh, thankfully, no. Uh, although that did happen to me before the internet, really. I mean, I guess the internet was a thing that I, I had a stalker when I was um, in high school who would send people to my home. But uh, no, fortunately, the, the the fake, you know, like a tender and other profiles, that stuff never, never got to my personal, like, location, at least. Thank God. I mean, it sounds like what happened to you is horrific. But more and more I'm seeing, like in the case of my client, Matthew Herrick, is that like dating apps are used as, as weapons and sort of a, a tool of harassment by proxy. Oh, totally. I mean, that sounds like what your offender did to, to you. It's what uh, Matthews did to him. And over 1,200 men came to his job and to his home expecting to have uh, sex with him because they were, they were driven there and these sex dates were arranged through Grinder, and Grinder said that there was nothing that they could do to permanently exclude this particular user. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we it was kind of a last resort. Matthew had already gone to the police 
12 or 14 times. He'd gotten an order of protection against his ex and nothing was stopping this guy from continuing to send people to his home. And often, you know, saying that Matthew had rape fantasies or if he protested that it was just part of the, the act. And um, it was, I mean, it was really scary. Sometimes the fake profiles would, through direct message, say that Matthew had drugs to share and was was uh, interested in, in, you know, a lot of really extreme, like hardcore sex. Right. So it was, he was like priming a situation for Matthew to get like. To have terrible things happen. Right. right. And I mean, and it's already terrible to have your, your peace invaded, you know, as many as 23 times a day. <laughs> um, but right. for, for, the, for them to then say that they didn't have the, the technology when they actually own the, the patent for the geolocation technology that was that was facilitating these visits is just insane. And so we yeah. we sued Grinder um, using a product liability theory. So that's uh, one way that I use civil <laughs> civil court. But and in- you know I think it's really worth saying here. You know this is a, a last resort that you're you're taking it to. You have people here. And I'm not a lawyer, but that clearly seems like defamation of of character there, actively going on with the service. And, you know, if the we, we've run into this with Twitter, too. At the height of Gamergate, we had tons of people impersonating me. There was a, a tweet that hurt my reputation to this day where someone got, it was uh, my old username, it was SpaceCatGal, and the I in the old days looked exactly like the L. And they they made a spa, uh, an account Space Cat G A I, and they started saying these things and just making the most offensive tweets uh, about uh, people on the autism spectrum you could possibly imagine. And then they screenshot that and they go out there and it gets hyper viral. And to this day, I have that same thing, like damage to my reputation. Thank God Twitter eventually acted, but the damage had already been done by that case. So, you know, I'm I'm a tough person as not as serious the, as the case you're talking about. But uh, clearly there's got to be, there there has to be a place for people to get justice when these big platforms fail people. I, I agree. And, and so far, I don't feel that it's the court's. I think that I think the judicial system is really failing people because yeah. because the Communications Decency Act is being interpreted in such a bloated way. And as your listeners may know, it's uh, the federal law that passed in 1996 when, of course, the Internet looked nothing like it does now. <laughs> and um, it created what was supposed to be limited immunity for uh, interactive computer services for for content that a third party posted that was supposed to be used for like to, to prevent tech companies and, and well, bulletin boards like Prodigy and CompuServe from getting sued for defamation and obscenity all the time for stuff that their users posted. But at this point, the courts have, have just expanded, expanded the, the, um, the, this immunity so that it's almost impossible for a user who's been harmed through an online platform to get any justice from our courts, no matter what kind of harm it is or how severe. Right. And you're talking about Section 230. I think Christina may have a slightly different take on this. I'd love to have you guys talk about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't know how different it is. I mean, I think that I would definitely, I guess, I think I would agree with you to say I don't know if the solution is in the courts, because whether you agree with Section 230 or not, 
even even absent that, I I I think that and and Carrie would obviously know this far more than I would. I'm not a lawyer, but just from you know what I've been around and whatnot, the the reality is is that our courts are not very tech savvy, and right. I think that makes it hard for them to interpret things. Um, in some cases, for good or for bad, you know, they can either make determinations, say no, well you you know they'll say things to victims like, well then you need to not be on the internet, um, or they'll they'll um, not understand that a company might have the ability to remove content or prevent people from um, doing certain things that they might actually have the ability to do. So I I think I do agree with the overall thing that I'm not sure if the um, solution here is, is in the court system, but when it comes to section two thirty of the, um, of, of the, um, the communications decency act, I think that's what the concern has been uh, that the EFF has, and I tend to agree with this about, I guess, pushing back on, uh, you know, adding more more boundaries to that would be that it could lead not just to more censorship and to potentially potential situations where even if the intent is good, it, it, the results can be bad, like what we saw with with Backpage and and um, some of those um, laws. But I think that again, given the fact that the court system is not tech savvy and hasn't really necessarily caught up with what's going on, that if we start to add in, I guess, additional provisions that give, that does give the opportunity for certain courts or certain administrations of either side of the political spectrum to start making determinations on content that I personally don't know how comfortable I am with some of those, like, I guess, potential, you know, side effects. Well, I would agree that, um, you know, law enforcers, I think, are even worse at handling complaints uh, when it comes to to tech. But, you know, our courts, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to be dealing with a lot of really complicated matters. Like our, our case was in front of, you know, SDNY. It's one of the most sophisticated courts in the country when it comes to complex financial crimes, hacking crimes. Um, there's no reason that they can't grasp the idea of interactive computer services and, and inter and third-party content. And I also think that what I'm talking about is not suddenly making the courts the arbiter of what is and isn't appropriate speech online. It's kind of doing the opposite. What I'm saying is that we no longer can have a situation where users have no rights in the legal system whatsoever against these behemoth companies. And you know, if these companies have the threat of being held liable for the extremely negligent things like they like in Matthew's case, then you know what? They're going to innovate and modify their products. And suddenly you're going to have situations where VCs who are deciding what to fund are going to say, hey, have you thought about how your, your, you know, your online dating app is going to be used by stalkers and rapists and child predators? Huh, well, maybe you should have a system so that you can actually identify abusive accounts and ban those users. So it's it's more about, you know, right now there's an, an absolute disincentive for owners of, of computer services to, to invest in any sort of product designs that relate to, to user safety because they don't have to worry about ever being held liable because, because of the CDA. I think where I come from is... To me, it feels like we've kind of kept this hard line for most of the the history of the internet. And I think now we're seeing the the consequences of um, 
like the, this particular president is posting conspiracy theories, which are really terrifying on his Twitter account. That has a damage to the rest of society. You know, we're seeing child predators. We're seeing HM. We're seeing mass shootings. And I think it's at a, a point where I, I think a lot of reasonable people would agree it's time to revisit that law, to update it, to come up with a way to balance these concerns. Because this, this status quo, it just feels like it can't continue to me. I don't disagree with any of that. I do wonder, though, sometimes, um, and I'm not even opposed to when you can get civil penalties against these companies and use that as a deterrent. I think that that would be that would, would be great um, yeah. in, in the cases when that's possible. But I guess, uh, and I would I would kind of ask this question of both of you. You know, we do a really bad job when it just comes to regular kind of security, right? Like we don't hold companies responsible when there are massive data breaches. Equifax basically doxes the majority of the of the uh you know United States population and at most people will get you know $125 and if everyone claims it will get something like 31 cents or 24 cents or something like that and they're basically not going to have any damages and and nothing is going to stop them and in fact they still have won you know further government contracts so and and, and they're still a part of our system so i guess I struggle, what I struggle with is that we have other systems that could hold some of these companies responsible for things, and we don't, uh, either either from a criminal or from a civil standpoint. So I wonder, I guess, what, you know, simply making changes to the CDC, how that would necessarily, or CDA rather, how that would necessarily fix a lot of the things that that, that are still happening. And I would say that we don't have a system we don't have a civil system for holding these companies liable. We just don't. And I think this is a, a, an issue about power to the people. Right now, Matthew doesn't have a way to make Grindr stop somebody from weaponizing its product and sending 23 people to his home and to his job. He literally can't sue them. He was, his case was dismissed out of court. I've spent over a thousand attorney hours fighting this. We petitioned the Supreme Court last week. Tell me what civil remedy he has. Literally nothing. Okay. He's already sought, you know, a restraining order against his ex. You can't sue a stalker who's judgment proof. So suing his ex isn't, I mean, isn't a, a, a viable option. Um, if you're not, you know, generally, if you're not afraid of, of jail, you're not afraid of somebody suing you, especially when you have no money. And it's just a recipe for complete disaster because then suddenly you, your client has has to go see his his stalker in court once a month. I, I don't know where <laughs> this civil remedy is that this evasive civil remedy. I will say that um, I heard something about um, Trump writing some sort of executive order or, or t- tweeting about an executive order that he wanted to do relating to 230. And as much as I want people to have power against the tech industry, I think that is insane and unconstitutional. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, when we've talked about this uh, this subject on the show, overwhelmingly, as someone running for United States Congress, I'm in favor of getting the courts to act to make the public safer versus having the government really step in. I, I think it's a more effective uh, solution. So like my cybersecurity plan, it is to make it more expensive to do cybersecurity wrong 
them to do it uh, correctly, which is the inverse of the situation we have right now. That way, the incentives are aligned and companies clean up their own mess. I think it should be the same with uh, guns and mass weapon sales. And I can see that being a really effective uh, solution here, like giving people like Matthew a civil remedy. I, I think that would be worth examining to see if we could update that law. Carrie, tell us tell us a little bit about your book. Um, so it, it comes out, uh, I guess, uh, this week and tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh so so okay, so 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 when people are listening to this interview, it will already be out, and it's called "Nobody's Victim." Yes, um, nobody's victim fighting stalkers, psychos, pervs, and trolls. I'm an audiobook kind of gal. You did the audiobook. You were tweeting about that. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, you told yes? me, Brianna. Because yes. you told me you were like. Is there any way you could send me a galley in audiobook? And I was like, I don't think that's a thing, and I haven't recorded it yet. <laughs> but I saw you recording it, like you were talking about it. Yeah. So I want to hear more about the book. So it's basically the stories of you know some of the horrors that you you've seen in your practice. It's about the the battles you fought, the ones you won, and some that you lost. The book is um is it's all stories. It's stories of my clients. It's stories of my own. Um, sort of unchosen path to becoming the law firm owner of of a victim's rights law firm. I mean, I'm 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 thrilled I'm here, but my experience with victims' rights, you know, started with with my own after I was under attack by by an ex boyfriend and and didn't know how the hell to to get out of the situation. And so, w- using the stories of my clients, I then kind of. St- sneak in a bunch of information. So using, I, I talk about Matthew's story and then I do some background on the Communications Decency Act. I talk about my client Francesca's story who was um, kind of famously and viciously stalked by um, this former writer for The Intercept who impersonated her and sent bomb threats to oh, Jewish Oh yeah, community. that guy. Yeah. Who, who is this? Uh, who is Juan, uh, what was Juan his Thompson. Juan, Juan Thompson. Really? Crazy. Like, like legit. He's in jail now. He's like... Yes. Wow. Like oh super scary. God. Like like super oh. scary. He was fired for plagiarism, and then he wound up, uh, I guess, uh, stalking your clients and um, making um, bomb threats to synagogues in um, her name and in the name of other people uh, before he was uh, caught. It's pretty terrible. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I so with with her story, we we talk about sort of the history of stalking laws, and um, and then you know through. I talk a little bit about Gamergate and Pizzagate and, and use those stories to talk about um, harassment by, by trolls and, and the legal frustrations that we have with those. I talk a little bit about my cases against Weinstein to mm-hmm. talk about um, sort of the, uh, the, the sex predator power spectrum. And really, the, the main point of the book is to basically explain that this that we're all a moment away from crossing paths with somebody hellbent on our destruction. Uh, so a little bleak, but... Um, no, it's true. But, it's but then the point true. is that... The point's twofold, though. Number one, there's stuff you can do if that happens or happens to one of your friends. And number two, no one should ever feel smug that they're not the victim of yeah. whether it's revenge porn or stalking or sextortion or online harassment impersonation, any crime, don't feel smug about that because it could happen to you. There's nothing that my clients did uh, to deserve any of the, the, the crimes that occurred to them. 
And and then the other um, goal of, of the book is to kind of demystify the types of predators that I see. I'm, I'm coming from a place where I have all this information and I'm very uniquely, what would I, I guess I'm, I'm uniquely positioned because I have so much information about, about predators. Right. right. And, and about, and I see the same behaviors over and over and over again. And there are kind of, uh, you know, just a, several categories uh, that can, you know, of, of behaviors. And it's, you know, as if they're, as if they're all on HN plotting together or something, you're saying this is this is how you stalk someone the best way, or this is how you um, you know you you sextort. Um, so yeah. I do think that if if I can demystify those behaviors, it's a hell of a lot less scary if if something's happening to you, if you're being stalked online, Absolutely. you know, you can know what to expect and you can better explain it to the cops. And so I think I think this is a really great shield for for people. Absolutely. Well, it's a fantastic book. Um, I I hope all of our listeners will go out grab this. Uh, I, I just bought can. it on Audible and um, Kindle. Uh, sorry that I couldn't get it at my local bookstore, but I don't have room for um, yes. any more print books, so I've got them all digitally. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Carrie, when I win my uh, race for the House of Representatives this year, I want you to come testify in front of the Tech oh, Committee, and I want you to come help me write a law to address all of this. Um, you know, it's it's really hard. I did uh, this week in tech yesterday, and it's it's honestly it's a bleak subject to keep on talking about because inaction is not uh, is inaction is not something we can do. We can't. Uh, the free speech concerns are very valid. I love the idea of tackling it through civil remedies as much as we can and expanding that. So uh, I hope we can work together and make that happen. Uh, my dream come true. Please. I, you so have my support. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for coming on. And oh. what's the book one more time for people? It's uh, Nobody's Victim, Fighting mm-hmm. Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls. It's available now. Fantastic. Well, um, we will have a link to that in our show notes um, for anybody who wants to uh, to get that or go to your your local bookstore. If you're in New York City, go to The Strand or go to any of the other uh, kind of uh, like local places. If you're in uh, Portland, go to Powell's and, uh, and and check it out. Thank you, Brianna and Christina. Thank you so much. That was awesome to talk to Carrie. And again, you can you can get her book. We'll have a link for that in the show notes. And this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Willow Tree. And Willow Tree is a mobile innovation agency that creates products for Pepsi and HBO and American Express and many more places. And listen up, they are hiring. So If you need a new challenge, a fresh start, or just the next career step, then this ad is for you. So the Willow Tree team has launched over 500 applications, websites, and bots that impact millions of users. And so this is your chance to be part of something big. They believe diverse teams create the best products which is something that I know I, uh, I, I believe in. I agree. And, yep. <laughs> and Brianna definitely agrees with. And not only did they have a rating of 4.8 out of 5 on Glassdoor, but they were voted the best place to work in tech by Glassdoor wow. and Fortune, which is awesome. So if you are a software engineer, either iOS or Android, if you're a designer or a project manager, you can apply to join their team now at bit.ly slash Rocket. That's bit.ly or bit.ly slash willow tree rocket. So apply now or bookmark it for later because you can also apply whenever it suits you or you can visit their careers page at 
willowtreeapps.com slash careers to view all openings. And so uh, our thanks to Willow Tree for their support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. That's an impressive uh, Glassdoor score. It, it really that's, is. That's I was, really good. <laughs> I was actually thinking that. I was like, shoot, man, that's like really high. Like that's, yeah, <laughs> especially for like agency stuff. Also, they like, work with brands that I do actually really love. So Ooh. awesome stuff. All right, Bree, what are you up to this week? I wish I could sit here, Christina, and tell you like all this impressive uh, congressional stuff. Um, the reality is, I'm reading the Anna Delphi book. Yes, <laughs> like I'm gonna, Woo! I'm gonna leave the show. I could go make a hot bath. I could start that book, and I'm just gonna lose myself for a couple hours. Uh, other than that, uh, serious note: the five year anniversary of GamerGate is coming up. Uh, I'm gonna have a piece in the Times. Uh, they actually sent a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning photography team over to my home uh, this week to take pictures for that, uh, which was a real honor to get to work with them. But uh, I'm going to have a big piece in the time soon about that. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. I, 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 I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Like, I hate that we have to do these like anniversaries at all, but I'm so proud to know you and to see what you've been able to do out of such like a terrible thing that happened. Um, well, and, and just to, to watch that. you, you know, kind of come back from that and, and really, you know, uh, take on a new platform and do amazing things has been I incredible to watch. That. Well, I got to tell you, this this race is really going well, Christina. I just, oh, I'm so psyched. Oh, my gosh. Uh, also, I'm heading over to, God, I can't even believe I, I forgot about this. I'm heading to San Francisco uh, two days from now on Thursday, I am keynoting Write Speak Code this year, Fantastic. which I'm very excited about. And I could give about 9 million meetings while I'm out there. So, Amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah so, I, I spoke at, at Write Speak Code last year um, and, and uh, my friend... Uh, it's a good time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a great time. And I think my friend um, Liz will be um, uh, there this year as well, um, Liz Fong jones Um so uh, and I know I'll definitely have some some colleagues there. So um, I'll, oh my gosh. Uh, if, I'll, if you see them, say hello for me. That's Rocket awesome. Rocket rules apply, obviously. R- so Rocket rules apply. Is. So if anybody is at Right Speak Code, which is a great conference, uh, be sure to uh, tell Brianna uh, that you listen to Rocket so that she'll buy you a drink. Um, and uh, also, speaking of five-year anniversary, it's a good one. This is like this week, I think, is the fifth anniversary of Relay FM. So congrats to Mike oh and gosh, to Steven wow. um, on, on that and on launching this. And, and um, you know, uh, I think our show, we started in January of, uh, of 2015. And so we're getting close to our five-year mark, too. Oh, my God. Which is nuts, right? I wow! I'm just stunned. Wow! I know it, it, it's crazy. I, it I'm, really feels like we just started the show, though. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I I don't know. You know what it wow. is? It, it feels like we just started it, and it also feels like I've never not been doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So, oh my gosh! Wow. So I I, I love that. Um. All right, uh, Brianna, where can people find you online? You can find me at Brianna Wu. Uh, if you want to support my congressional campaign, you can do that at supportbrianna.com. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. Fantastic. And I didn't even say what I was doing this week. Um, right. I was like, uh, you skipped it. What yeah, you no, I did to? skip it. So to go back to that, uh, I am also reading the Anna Delby book, also in the <laughs> bath. Um, if This is one of the reasons why I really love, A, the new Kindle Paperwhite, but I, I didn't wait for that one. I have the, the Oasis 2, which is waterproof. 
having a waterproof like e-reader is just kind of the best thing ever. Um, it's for it, me, it's like why it's worth having an e-reader in addition to your phone <laughs> or tablet, because you can like sit in the bathtub, uh, and, yep. and, and read about scam, um, scamsters. Um, I also, uh, I live tweeted, uh, this is not anything that's that great. I, I will link to it cause it's funny. There's a really terrible documentary called revolution OS about like the birth of the open source movement. And it's terrible because of its production values, not because of its content. Like there's actually some decent content. It's just not well done. And I was, had insomnia on Sunday night. So I live tweeted it. It was pretty amusing. So I, 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 that's, that's something I already did this week, but the rest of the week, I'm just going to, you know, read about Anna Delvey's stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and you can find me on, uh, online at, at, film underscore girl on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can find the stuff that I do at work, which unfortunately does not include uh, talking about scam stirs, but it does sometimes include wearing like movie pass merch and things like that <laughs> at a uh, youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Uh, our, uh, our off on vacation host, uh, Simone de Rochefort is available on Twitter and on Instagram at doom quasar. And her Insta stories are awesome as always. So tune into that and you can find her uh, work content at youtube.com slash polygon. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Rocket. If you like this episode, please give it a rating over on Apple Podcasts because that really helps us out and also leave us a review. And uh, be sure to tell all your friends about like one of the greatest podcasts and to my knowledge, still the only exclusive like female hosted tech news podcast. It's been yeah. going for five years, almost five, five years now. Years. Almost five years. Oh my gosh. Like, wow. spread the word, because come on, man. That's an achievement. That's it an is achievement. an achievement, and we're awesome. Uh, and this episode of Rockets is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>